Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very festive good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. Very festive indeed. It's Happy Christ- Christmas to all the listeners, I yeah. suppose. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas. We're, you know, going above and beyond. Christmas Eve should be a time for family. But this is our our podcast family that we're looking after with a Christmas podcast episode. Yeah. After what was a very interesting game of football last night at Anfield. I suppose, though, if you're listening to this, you probably should be questioning your priorities. Do you know what I mean? No, 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 no. No, come on. Come on. There's such a lot to do on Christmas Eve for many people. You know, all the preparation for the dinner the next day, wrapping of presents, uh, getting the children drunk so they go to sleep, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can do that with the accompaniment of a podcast. I don't think that's, you know, uh, ignoring the family or anything like that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you this, Andrew. It really annoyed me how on Sky last night, after this one-all draw, they kept saying, well, if there is a winner, it's Man City. You know, it's Man City's weekend. That was so Uh, odd. And as we all know, the real winner was the children in that orphanage that I'd threatened to... (laughs) burn down and cancel Christmas at if, if Arsenal <laughs> lost this game. Oh, what a what a joy they've got now. You know, know life. the relief yeah. on those little kids' faces. That but was, yeah, that, yeah, that did wind me up a bit. I was like, why? What do you mean it's City's weekend? I, I thought this was a, a really good point for Arsenal. Uh, mm. Maybe the most difficult ground to visit in the Premier League. Um, and one that keeps them top of the league for consecutive Christmases. I mean... As far as I'm concerned, it was Arsenal's weekend. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. Yeah, it, it strikes me maybe that in their production meetings, they sort of have um, preconceived talking points or narratives mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So if it's an Arsenal win, does this make Arsenal the favourites for the title? If Liverpool win, does this, you know, is it a hammer blow for Arsenal's title credentials? A draw, it's a good weekend for, for Manchester City. Like, did you hear them going on and on and on about the goalkeeper? Yeah. What was that? Yeah. Like, genuinely, what was that? Because there was, this is the biggest 45 minutes of David Raya's Arsenal career. And I was thinking, but why? Why, <laughs> why him in particular in this game where he couldn't do anything about the goal, but apart from that, he hadn't really been called into too much action. Where Arsenal were very strong, obviously, was defensively. William Saliba, Gabriel, uh, I think Ben White, Declan Rice, all these guys were really, really good defensively. He did have a bit to do in the second half. But I was like, what is, what is this? Like, if he'd let a goal... of narrative, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, you know? if, if, if he'd let a goal in, would this have been, well, it's you know time to call, uh, call it quits with David Ryan and all that? I was just like, 
I don't really understand. Even at the end of the game, Gary Neville was going on about, you know, this is a good result for Arsenal. It kind of puts all the questions about the goalkeeper to bed. Uh, I was like, what? I know. And then he was like, yeah, but still, the centre forward. He was like, we'll do the other, we'll do another narrative then. If yeah. we can't do the goalkeeper, it's disappointing because we do have a camera trained on Aaron Ramsdale specifically for that moment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, seeing as Raya had a sort of decent game and, you know, didn't make any errors, uh, we'll, we'll focus on the centre forward issue yeah. instead. I, I did get the sense watching it that a draw was kind of the most annoying result for the coverage because it didn't allow them to draw sweeping conclusions and yeah. go in and massively criticise someone after the game. It was kind of just, well, status quo, as we were. And that doesn't make necessarily for exciting television. No. But I think, I think for Arsenal, it's a really good result. I agree. And I think for a, a television station like Sky Sports to finish the evening with Jamie Radnaff singing uh, on air, I don't know if you'd switched off by that point. You're joking. Was, no, genuinely, they were, they were singing Last Christmas, I think, and then something else. And it was like, oh, I've got to turn this off. Honestly, you know, those, wow. are, those are the standards. And uh, that guy can't sing. Like, I'm not fucking Pavarotti, but that guy cannot fucking What sing. was he singing? I think he was singing Last Christmas, and then there was another one, and it was just my my toes were curling so much that I had to just immediately reach for the remote control and, and turn it off. This was way after the game because I was watching all the, the post-game interviews and doing some stuff for Arsbog News uh, and all the rest. Um, wow. Well, far be it from me to, to criticize someone for singing when they can't really sing. Well, but <laughs> <laughs> you wait and see, people, wait and see. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is awful. I mean, I reckon all those kids in the orphanage wanted Christmas cancelled after yes. they saw what Christmas meant for them. Please. Jamie, Jamie Redknapp. Please, James, uh, come and kill us. Yeah. You can't, you can't deal with any of this. <laughs> Just end it now. Oh, man. But you know what? It was. I think I think this was a really interesting game and I think what's what's fascinating about it is you know some of the the reaction from Mikel Arteta when you compare and contrast the reaction from Bukayo Saka for example Arteta was yeah. delighted and he had a big hug with his um with his staff at the end of the game and he, he had a big hug with Jurgen Klopp and I think the two managers were a bit like yeah that was that was something all right and Saka enjoyed it I think yeah I think so um elements of it anyway yeah. um Saka, you know, frustrated that we, we didn't make the breakthrough and, and get another goal and all the rest. He only but, broke that guy's collarbone. He was hoping for more damage, obviously, being the vindictive man that he is. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, notorious hatchet man, Bakayo Saka. Yeah. Oh, he know. survived. Oh, it was a frustrating afternoon then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, it was a really compelling game because it was played at quite a frenetic pace. It was very intense, but also because... I think what made it particularly sort of intriguing and dramatic is that while you had two very good teams, the strong points of each team kind of uh, dovetailed nicely with maybe the weaker points in the other. Mm. So there were sort of areas to exploit for both sides. And I think that's what made it so interesting and so sort of finely poised. Yeah, the, the talk or pregame, of course, was about Anfield, the atmosphere and... You know, Arteta was keen to play it down. Klopp had obviously, you know, had a little go at the fans in order to get yeah. them up for this game. And, you know, he did make a point of, of um, acknowledging that afterwards uh, in his Sky interview. He talked about how, you know, thank you, Anfield, da-da-da. Um, but Arteta had mentioned pregame, like the, the best way to 
to so silence the crowd, if that's the way you want to put it, is to have the ball and to dominate and to, to have the ball in areas where they can't hurt you. And Arsenal started so well, mm-hmm. uh, really, really well. I mean, within a minute, was it? There was a, a, a chance for Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, deflected over. I think the keeper's beaten if that just drops, you know. I don't think he's uh, he's getting anywhere near that. Then there was a header, wasn't there, that was on target? From the um, subsequent corner, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of minutes later, there's a foul on Kai Havertz from which Arsenal take the lead, a very well-worked set-piece. Really well-worked set-piece. I mean, fine margins, you know, they, they got the offside perfectly in terms of uh, Gabriel timing his run. Mm. They, they start in an offside position, don't they? I think yeah. Gabriel Saliba and maybe it's Declan Rice or Ben White in there. And they come back. Uh, yeah, and he's just onside. Alisson... Caught in two minds, really, kind of not mm. one or the other. And Gabriel, I think I saw it as his 11th Premier League goal, something like that. You know, the highest scoring defender since he arrived in the league. Well, I mean, it's a very, very good header because that ball is dropping just marginally behind him as he, he makes the header, you know, and he has to step back and then step yeah. forward to, to go do it. So it really is a good header. Maybe Allison caught in two minds. It was probably our best set piece moment of the of the game. Got it yeah. out of the way nice and early. <laughs> there was a really funny one in the second half. I don't know if funny is how you would have described it at the time, where Leandro Trossard went over to the corner flag and it was maybe like eighty fifth minute and you know, his commentators were like, Well, corner for Arsenal, they could nick it here and he really took his time. Like the away fans were behind him. Mm. He kind of unruffled his shirt. He did the kind of Cristiano Ronaldo you know, big puff out and then proceeded to just smash it directly at the first defender. It's fucking uh, terrible. His corners drove me mad. Like I think we two or three said when he came on and it was just like, oh, come on, you have to do better than that when you're a team that is as good as we are from set pieces. You know, the, those could be the moments that, that uh, you know, the difference between um, three points and one point. I mean, there's obviously more to it than that. But uh, it yeah. was a, a little bit frustrating, and even some of the the free kicks we had um, from similar positions uh, later in the game didn't really do Liverpool much True. damage. I mean, there was a lot to like about the way we started this game, and there was an intent and a bravery to which we we played. There was a, a good chance. Well, was a good chance for Gabriel Jesus? Would you say a chance certainly to test the goalkeeper? But he blasted over the bar. I think it was Saka yeah. who played him uh, played him into the sort of uh, inside right channel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, a decent opportunity. I really like the way we started. You know, you never know how much you're just sort of constructing this in your head, but the camera was very zoned in on the, the pre-match huddle and, you know, Declan Rice was talking and then Martin Odegaard was talking. And, and I sort of thought we looked very focused and very up for it. And that did translate in the performance. I thought it was really good early on. A bit reminiscent of last season, actually. Yeah. Um and, you know, immediately quieted down the crowd a little bit. And it did take them, you know, about 20 minutes to sort of really recover. Uh, I know they had an opportunity before that, which was with Salah, which was a ball over Zinchenko, which we've yeah. seen more of as the game wore on. But only later in the half did they start to really build momentum. I think that's fair. They had shouts for a penalty. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, Andrew, you tell me. What do you think? I mean, if that wasn't given to us up the other end, I'd be absolutely fuming. I know there is a rule about, you know, if a player is falling and the ball hits the hand that they're using to support themselves and and everything else. But where is the line between falling and slipping? 
I'm not quite sure. And crouching. I don't and know. Sort of crouching <laughs> and, and sort of what looks like putting your hand out to, to stop the ball. That's that's what it looked like to me. Um, I it did think, look like an instinctive – that would be my interpretation yeah. as well. I know people have said, well, he's doing that for his balance or to sort of stop himself falling. But it looked to me like a guy who completely unthinkingly – might be on the way down, but sees the ball going past him and just puts something out. That's, that, that honestly is how I saw it. I think we got away with one there. I really do. We did. The conspiracy um, missed one there. Um, yeah, yeah, what yeah. what can you do? Well, look, you know, some people will argue that it's overdue, um, that a decision like sure. that goes our way, and, and that may well be the case. But as we've said all along, and when we've talked about officiating and VAR and decisions – I think it is incumbent on uh, us when we talk about the games that if a decision goes our way and we get away with one, we have to acknowledge that, not just sort well, of. I think that is hundred percent pass it off as, as bias. And I've seen a lot of people discussing this today, and there is a you know a fair con- um, divergence of opinion uh, on whether or not it is a penalty. For me, I think it's absolutely a penalty, and we got lucky. Well, it's interesting. I was reading uh, our Liverpool writer at the Athletic his piece this morning. I was looking at the comments underneath. And Liverpool fans, you know, they have their own narrative about refereeing decisions that have gone against them this season. I do think it's a pretty widespread problem. And maybe, yeah, maybe the bigger point is the kind of the quality of the officiating, which, you know, we've talked about many times. But I, yeah, I was shocked, to be honest, that that wasn't given. And yeah. slipping was a bit of a theme in the game, right? The surface was uh, yeah. tricky for we, the players. We had a question about that, actually. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. It was from the Discord because I forgot to do the Twitter thing. So we've only got questions from Discord today. Um, where the hell is it gone? Um, maybe I should just search the word slip. Yeah. Um, it was very slick. Yeah. Uh, Probably by design, I would think. Well, I would, that's what I was going to ask you. I'm sorry, I can't find the question here in any time uh, that would make it uh, tolerable for people to listen to without me going boom, boom, boom uh, for about five minutes here. But Give the yeah, people what they want. They love boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it was very obviously a deliberate tactic to mm. water the pitch. And I do wonder if um, Liverpool players had different studs to our players because they didn't seem to be slipping quite as much as ours. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. Um, but you know, it, it was a pretty big factor in some of the, the key moments in the game, uh, mm. that Odegaard penalty potentially being one, um, Simakas injury, which we mentioned. Funnily enough, I, as you know, I make notes during the game mm. and around the time of the VAR appeal, um, I just wrote, Saka Simikas is spiky. Uh, there was a bit of... Uh, yeah. I don't know. A, a tent, there was an, a bit of aggro between them, I think, for, from almost the first whistle. Well, there was a moment, wasn't there, where Simikas put his hand out to, to sort yes. of hold Saka off early in the game, and he, he sort of caught him in the face. Uh, you know, I don't think it was deliberate. I don't think there was any need for any more than, than what happened. But I think... You know, it was a it was a a tasty little battle there. You know, which is mm-hmm. which is great. You know, the physical aspect of football is something we all enjoy. And I think, you know, people talk about Bukayo Saka a lot, and they talk about you know his quality as a player, and they talk about you know, what a nice guy he is. But I think there's a physicality to Saka. 
you know, not just in, in how he's able to withstand the amount of challenges that are put on him, but the way that he can use his own physicality, his own body strength, um, you know, to uh, to cause the the opposition problems, and that was the case, I think, with the with the Simicast one, is that you know he put his leg across him, leg shoulder. The consequences obviously were not something that he intended. It's very unlucky, and hopefully Simicast is not out for for too long. But it is one of those fifty fifties. You know, a slippy pitch. The guy goes flying, uh, whacks into his manager, whacks into Jurgen Klopp, who got up, and you could see for a moment. You know, you know those. Um, you know, in the Incredible Hulk, you know that bit where his eyes go like before he, ch- you know, changes into the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you just had that that flash of the eyes from Jurgen Klopp there, where he was. <laughs> he just looked like he was going to lose it for a second before he he found himself. Uh, yeah, uh, I do find it amazing. I was watching the game yesterday and thinking, like, how is it possible that Mikel Arteta is the kind of poster boy for touchline descent when Jurgen Klopp exists? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The way he sort of berates the fourth official throughout the ninety minutes is quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like Klopp. I, I, I like. I'm a fan of his as a manager, and I can see that he's away from the ninety minutes of the game. Seems like a decent enough guy, but yeah, baffling that he's sort of just permitted to do that. Well, I mean, it, it's the thing, isn't it, about how how uh, Arsenal are the the bad boys of the Premier League, sure. yet we top the fair play table. And who's bottom of the fair play table? Tottenham, you know? Yeah. And and it's just the way that these things are presented in the media um, when they don't stack up. And I, I, I sort of agree with you. I don't know that, that, you know, he did too much yesterday. He was sort of in his technical area, wasn't he, when Simicast crashed into him? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just meant there was a few moments where, like, I mean, he seems absolutely incensed the way that he's going after people. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the Saka, the Saka Simicast thing is another moment where I think the surface played its part. I saw a good angle of it this morning where you can see a Saka kind of steps across Simicast. He kind of skids, right. which, which leads to, um, if you search Twitter for Saka slips or Saka slips, you will probably find it. But I, I do think, you know, it, it plays its part. It's a small thing, but it just sends Simakas. Oh uh, yes, I can see that. Yeah, foot. his his right foot just skids. Yeah, for about two or three feet. Yeah, I mean, look, it's just it is one of those things that's unfortunate and unlucky um, for the Liverpool player. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it was flagged as a foul, and I remember thinking like that's. Ooh, that's barely a foul. I don't you know? think that was even a foul, but yeah. uh, I think it was probably the fact that he clattered into Klopp and and all the rest of it that the referee went, "Whoa, <laughs> I, better, I better stop this here uh, and yeah, bring sure. it back." Um, I think at that point it was one-one though, and Liverpool scored. I suppose from their perspective, a very good goal, and I think you have to acknowledge both the quality of the pass from Alexander Arnold. And the finish from Mohamed Salah. But from an Arsenal perspective, I think we can look at the defending there and say that was not good. No, I I suppose it was always going to be a difficult area. You know, Salah against Zinchenko, it does feel like a bit of a mismatch. Um, but the execution is brilliant as well. And yeah, I, I don't think the one-on-one defending is amazing. Um 
I think it's a, Gabrielle might feel he could get a bit closer as well. I uh, think that's true. I think that's right. You know, I think the the job of a centre half in that position is to give a bit more cover to your fullback, and he does point behind to Saliba because as a man coming in the uh, coming into the box, I think it's Sabasly. I'm not sure. But he alerts Saliba to that, which means he's then free to go and engage a little more than he should or, or did last night. I think if you know if they look back at the tape there, they will say, yeah, you've got to go and, and close that down a little bit more. But I do think the, the sort of lazy wag of a foot from Zinchenko sure. is just not good. It really isn't good. We know that defending is not his strong point, you know, but I also think as a professional footballer, you should be you should be a little bit better than that because like if Salah beats him with an amazing piece of skill you go well okay it's Mo Salah he's just you know one of the best players in the world and he's absolutely done Zinchenko there you know what can you say but I don't think it was that no and I think yeah I think that's fair he gets very square and Salah does the thing that everybody watching on television and in the ground knows he's going to do yeah. you know yeah uh and and Zinchenko can't really let him do that it's just too straightforward so yeah I mean not a great moment uh for him and you know there was a lot of talk about Zinchenko uh during the game but I do think it's important to remember that you know we are missing two players who I think Mikel Arteta might well have picked to start this game one being Tommy Asu mm-hmm. uh, and the other being Jurian Timber. So, yes, Zinchenko is not the strongest fullback we have for, on the defensive front. But, you know, we are kind of working with one hand tied behind our back there. And I have great sympathy for the manager. I mean, there's a chance he would have picked Zinchenko anyway because he really likes him. But, I, I, you know, I think it's important to remember it's not like we've got this uh, weakness in the squad and we've never sought to address it. Mm. We've... We've done plenty to address it. We've just been quite unfortunate with injury. I think that's I think that's absolutely right. You know, this would have been a Tommy Asu game if Tommy Asu had been fit. It may well have been a Jurian Timber game if he had been fit. You know, uh, so it's not as if we're we're sort of unaware of the problem and don't or haven't made any attempts to to try and fix it for certain games because I I think there are certain teams that will be better able to exploit Zinchenko's defensive weaknesses. Liverpool are certainly one of those. Yeah, and I have to be honest and say, I don't think I would have felt any better about uh, Kivior playing against Salah. I think that would have brought its own problems, personally. Well, yeah, and I think the problem may well have been in the second half. Mm. When, like, I think this game was a perfect illustration of the yin and the yang of Zinchenko. Mm. Because there was that mistake for, uh, for the goal and it was a mistake, or it's just bad defending. And in the second half, in that 10 minutes where we played really poorly, really sloppily, we, we, we gave Liverpool momentum because we kept giving the ball away. We kept, uh, you know, there was one moment when um, Zinchenko tried to dribble past Salah sort of halfway yeah. into our half, and it's just like, don't do that. You've got a pass on somewhere. There is a pass. You're good enough to make a pass don't invite pressure. And there was that period uh, where he gave the ball away at least once. There was that moment there. I think Odegaard gave the ball away as well, playing in tight areas, which you know that's kind of what Arsenal want to do. 
And I was a bit worried, I have to say, about 55 minutes, 56 minutes in, I said in the live blog, the, the momentum, this game is tilting too far in favour of Liverpool. And we've been there at Anfield before where they get ahead of steam and all of a sudden you're on the back foot, you're on the back foot. And it's really, really difficult to counter that momentum to stem the tide of, of their relentlessness, right? Yeah, it reminded me of a couple of years ago. I remember talking about Sambi Laconga, and to be fair, it probably was more than just him, but you know, I yeah. think he was the was most obvious example. Tavares, where, I think, as well. Was, yeah, we had 10, 15 minutes in the game. I think it was also just after half time where we just couldn't string three passes yeah. together and it just gets away from you. And it really can get away from you so quickly at that ground. But, but yeah, this is what I was saying about Zinchenko is that. I think part of the reason why Arteta was so pleased at the end of this game was that we were able to deal with that. It was a shaky 10 minutes or so, but then we got on the ball, we started passing it around, and, and this this sort of control that we talk about when it comes to Arsenal's football this season isn't really just about, you know, playing high up the pitch against, you know, mid-table teams and dominating possession, all those kinds of things it's being able to deal with situations like this where the game looks like it could go one way against a team who if you let them play in that way are just so dangerous and are are so effective uh, as we've seen time and time again but we were able to come back into it and when we did get back into control or when we did get back into the game and and um got on the ball and passed it around Zinchenko was really important in that aspect of it. So I completely get there are defensive questions about him, 100%. And we've, you know, acknowledged the fact that we have Timber, we have Tommy Asu, who can come in and, and maybe be a little more solid defensively, if not quite as uh, influential uh, further forward in, in, in midfield. But I think Zinchenko in those periods of the game, and in particular directly after that, that shaky spell we had, he was really important to the way we were playing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think actually that will have been what Arteta was most satisfied about. I think yeah. we know that he values enormously when players stick to the plan in the face of adversity. You know, we've heard him use that sort of terminology around the goalkeeper issue, for example. And I think he will have loved that when the going got tough, Arsenal kept playing their football um, and found a way to to cope. And in that environment, when the heat was turned up, they were able to live with it. Uh, so, yeah, I think he'll have been really happy with that. Mm. And, and Zinchenko... Is is critically important to that. You know, he's he's so good, and and I think he showed real. He showed, as Arteta would say, that he had big ones yesterday <laughs> because it wasn't going for him. You know, it wasn't his day, and he persisted. And he has this incredible level of confidence that you know, even when the chips are down, he'll still yeah. try stuff that you're like, I'm not sure you should try that. <laughs> but <laughs> he will keep at it. And yeah. um, it was interesting, that, again, the commentary was sort of like, Arsenal need to stop playing through the press here because they're going to get caught. And there was a certain degree of truth for that. But really what they needed to do was just play through the press better. Yes, 100%. And that's what they started doing rather than just lumping it long. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That was I, the change. I'd love to know what the discussions were on the sidelines during that period, you know, where I'm sure people were saying, we've got to get Sinchenko off. You know, who do you put on? You put on Kivior, maybe he's a little more solid defensively. Like, 
how much trust does Arteta have in these players to be able to cope with those moments? I think I really do think this is why he was so pleased at the end of the game. Like I, I think he 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 understands that players can have difficult spells and difficult periods in games. It's how they respond to that. I think that really yeah. uh, that connects with him and resonates with him. And look, there's another moment with Zinchenko that we'll talk about in a minute, but should Arsenal have been 2-1 up at halftime? Because there was a a very, very good moment for Bukayo Saka to yeah. get in behind. I, I watched this again a few times. Allison comes out really quickly, and I think that sort of distracts Saka. He does well, Allison. and he takes he takes a heavy touch. But Martinelli's shot wide. I know they had men on the line and all the rest, but is that at least a shot he should have got on target from there? <sighs> yes, I mean the problem is again his first touch isn't good. Like he takes his first touch and then skids past the ball, mm. doesn't he? It's another moment where the surface kind of comes into play. Then I think the issue he's got is he's got, what, four men between him and the goal. So I think he probably just overthinks it a little bit. It's funny, we spoke on the last pod about, you know, when you're flying, things just happen for you automatically. Um, but here I mm. think he's like, well, I can't just hit it. I need to place it somewhere. And he gets it wrong. So, yeah, we probably should have been ahead. But I think it was a more difficult chance than it looked because he'd skidded beyond the ball. You know, yeah. I think if he'd retained his footing, he probably takes it round Allison and has a much better chance to score. Yeah, the replays are very funny on the on the sideline when you see Arteta and Ramsdale is just sitting on the bench going, "Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good chance. It was. it was a good chance. You don't get and- too many of those uh, at Anfield, and you know we didn't have too many of those. It's fair to say, you know, as the second half went on and this this game became this sort of. Uh, like a war of attrition in a way because, you know, I have to say, I think defensively we had some outstanding perform, uh, performers. Um, mm-hmm. William Saliba, obviously, some of the some of the touches, some of the the mopping up that he did. There was one where he just took a, uh, killed it with his first touch and Carragher was just like, ooh, wow, uh, <laughs> in, in the commentary. I think Ben White was... Excellent as well, uh, sort of low-key excellent. After a difficult couple of weeks, he defended very well high up the pitch. But also, Konate and Van Dijk at the back were very, very good for Liverpool. Like, Martinelli didn't really get any joy out of Konate. There was a big battle between Jesus and, and Van Dijk. So, I think probably the best performers on the night for both teams were were defenders, and I don't quite know what that says about the game or the quality of the attackers or, you know, whether we just have to hold our hands up and say, look, sometimes games are won and lost by defenders, um, which might be the case in this one. Yeah, and look, those are top centre-halves. I mean, Van Dijk probably has been regarded as, what, the best centre-back in the world? Um, Canate has kept Saliba out of France teams in the past, so he's got to have something about him. I thought Saliba was... Imperious, statuesque, statue, almost, <laughs> almost. Um, but I, I, I know we said that he could have got out quick on the goal. But I, my f- favourite, the one who caught my eye, was genuinely Gabriel. I thought he was outstanding. I just think the way he defends his own penalty box is truly superb. There was one point in the first half where I think about three crosses went into the box in the space of yeah, know, forty yeah, yeah. seconds, and he got to them all. And I was just like. Wow, he's he's an absolute monster, that guy. And I do think he 
he's slightly in Saliba's shadow. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think he's brilliant. And yeah, I, 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 I'm crossing everything that the Saudi Pro League don't uh, come knocking again in the January transfer. Window. Well, I mean, I can't see anything happening in in January. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think they were they were all very good. Declan Rice, very good yeah. as well. You know that that sort of spine, if you like, uh, that those guys give us um, is just so important in in games like this. And mm. there really was only one moment when Liverpool caused real danger. And that came from an Arsenal corner. Um, I remember looking at that corner, Andrew, and thinking, oh, we've really committed here. We must be really mm. confident in our set-piece play because we've, we've really gone for this one. And then uh, as soon as the ball sort of you know went through Odegaard and Zinchenko, they managed to somehow take each other out. I was like, ah, <laughs> yes, that's I mean, the problem. That was not a good piece of play. I think it was probably Zinchenko's fault a little bit more than, than Odegaard's getting in right. each other's way. Right. I think Zinchenko basically took Odegaard out sure. going for a ball. Now, whether there was a lack of communication or whatever there was, I guess that's neither here nor there at this point. But you very rarely see Arsenal trying to deal with a four-on-one four break Declan Rice, we've talked about um, all kinds of things with regards to him, but have you ever seen a man skip backwards with such pace as Mo Salah and all those Liverpool players come charging towards him? Uh, no, I actually think he did really well. Interesting, by I the agree. way. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting, by the way, that he was not in the penalty box for the corner. You know, he was the kind of last man back uh, in that scenario. Um, but yeah, I think he, he positioned himself really well. I think Gabriel, as he's running back, is kind of furiously pointing to Rice. There's three men <laughs> outside you. And he kind of, uh, yeah, manages to somehow, you know, retain his composure, not dive in. Mm. I mean, think, think what would Mustafi have done in that situation? Mustafi would have gone. fallen over on his arse and the Liverpool players would have just, you know, taken it in turns, dribbling the ball around him before they went on to score. Yeah. I remember Emery's team, I think, conceding a really similar goal. Yes. Maybe it was Gendouzi got caught on the halfway line or something. Um, but yes, I, listen, for everything that Rice did well, uh it very well could have been a goal. And again, arguably the surface, something about the surface played its part because it does just ah, bobble. Yeah, I don't, you know, look, it does just bobble. He should still score. Oh, yeah. You know, that. No I me. think that's making, you know, a little bit of an excuse for him there. He's technically so good on the ball, I think he should score there. Yes, it does bobble up a little bit, but. I think he's know. guilty of basically, yeah, trying to make it look too pretty. <laughs> Maybe um, so, yeah, yeah going for that top, top corner where I don't think he really needs to. Um, but yeah, that, that image of Rice backpedalling with five Liverpool attackers coming at him. Mm. Uh, there are certain images that sort of, you know, will become memes like <laughs> Andrea Nana telling his defence to calm down. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this is one, undoubtedly. Yeah. A um, couple of quick things, you know, to sort of finish off the analysis of the game. There were shouts for a, an Arsenal penalty when Havertz was, was pushed in the back. It's such a weird one, that, because I think everywhere else on the pitch, that's usually given as a free kick. 
but you very, very, very rarely see them given as penalties. No. And although that doesn't really make sense, I do kind of understand why, because obviously the consequences of giving a free kick on the halfway line and giving a penalty sure. are different. So, you know, I, I understand why there's kind of a different weight applied to those decisions. I think that would have been a very, I think that would have been quite a generous. Penalty. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. Just, I know it was a talking point. Yeah. Um, Eddie came on, did pretty well. I think, you know, we, we've talked a couple of times about some of Eddie's substitute appearances and maybe there hasn't been quite the intensity you would like uh, you know, towards the end of a game when he's coming on with fresh legs. Zero complaints from me um, about his performance. I think he put himself about very well, worked really hard, got a yellow card, but made a very good tackle on the edge of our box, you know. Yep. So I think he, he did well there. There was the Saka moment where he slipped again. Yeah. But that yeah. that comes down more to Liverpool's pitch. The, uh, the fans wanted a, a second yellow. Liverpool brought subs on who did nothing. Uh, Nunez had nothing uh, against Ben White uh, when he came on. I think it on made them side. worse, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I agree. They, they took Salah away from Zinchenko, yeah. which was bewildering, um, mm. putting him up against Gabriel and Saliba, who are both in such good form mm -hmm. and so physically dominant. I didn't really understand that. Um, um, and how did you view the last sort of few minutes of, of this game in that, you know, it's 1-1, I think both sides obviously would have loved to win it, but I don't know that either side really committed to going to try and do that, knowing that a a draw was a pretty decent result. Um, probably yeah, more so for us, I think. You know, this was a game we, we couldn't allow ourselves to lose, uh, you know, in you know, the last 10, 15 minutes. You just can't allow yourself to lose a game like that. When you look at how deep Declan Rice is playing for the last 10, 15 minutes of this game, you know, he's basically a, another centre-half, another sweeper. Yeah. But weirdly, I did have this funny feeling that we might nick it. I have to be honest. I, there was just a few moments where I thought, well, we could really steal this. And uh, steal would be a bit, a bit strong. I think a draw was a fair result. Um, I was happy with it. And I think you're right that the players and the manager didn't go kind of hell for leather. Um it's not to say it was cautious. It was just very finely balanced in those mm. final few stages. And that's why it was sort of, I think, qualitatively different from last season's draw at Anfield, where we did kind of escape with a point. And so many trips to Anfield recently, I've got so many memories of kind of, even in games where we got beat or heavily beat, our goalkeeper having to make save after save yeah. after save. Um, and what I thought, right, did well yesterday and had a couple of really good moments on the ball where he dealt with difficult passes back to him in really exemplary fashion. You know, the theme of this season is a goalie doesn't have to make a bunch of saves. Yeah, that's true. Um, and if you go to Anfield and you achieve that, I think you've really done something significant. Yeah, because I mean, uh, yeah. I can see why Arteta was was pleased with this performance and results. Yeah. And, and look... You ride your luck a little bit uh, across the season and, and we mentioned the penalty. We mentioned uh, Alexander-Arnold hitting the bar. But there were moments, I think, when Arsenal could have done more. 
Um, there were a couple of Saka crosses. There was one Jesus cross as well, where we just didn't attack the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, I think you, Martinelli was knackered by that point. I think uh, so, but you know, you you need him um, to get in the there, post, yeah. or if if he can't do it, you bring somebody else on who can and will. Um, I'm not sure Trossard did that, uh, and certainly his set piece del- delivery was um, a frustration to me. But what's the other talking point? I suppose is Havertz with his fifth yellow now um, misses the game against West Ham. So probably a decision to be made there for Mikel Arteta in terms of how he rejigs his team. Yeah. Um, I, I think in the context of kind of the <clears throat> the title race more generally, I do think Liverpool fans might look at the last week and see it as a big opportunity missed. You know, they had two home games against Manchester United, who are still hilariously bad. <laughs> uh, and then the team that are top of the league in Arsenal, you know, and they come away from that with two points. Mm. I, I, I think, especially going into a very difficult, you know, a, a, this is a period for them where they're going to be without Salah in January. Um, they've got games against Newcastle, against Chelsea. They've got to come to the Emirates at the start of February. I think they'll look at this and think, we've dropped points there mm. across those two games. And it was a real chance for them to kind of, have the league in a bit of a stranglehold and they've not done that. And we are, you know, in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. A good day. It's a good day. It was a good result, a good performance. You take a draw at Anfield. Obviously you want to win, break the hoodoo and all the rest. But I think, you know, the, the manner of the, the performance and the way that we played in general, there was a lot to like about it. And, um, you know, I think if we can just sort of up that final third efficiency, these are games we can go on and win. You know, I went into this game thinking, yes, this is an Arsenal team capable of going to Liverpool and winning. Uh, we didn't do it, but I still think that's what we're capable of. And, and you know, I think there's more to come from this team. Definitely. And I, I think conversely, when you look at our week, home game against Brighton and a, a game away at Anfield, bear in mind this is coming off a loss at Aston Villa. I think we've done really well. I think four points from those games is a, a really good return. Um, and I actually think that moment with Arteta and his staff at the end, I think Arteta's, maybe I'm too cynical, but I think he's acutely aware of kind of messaging and what things look like. And I think that almost celebrating that draw was about kind of affirming to his players and the club, like, that was good. We're in a good place and we're in control. Yeah. You know, and we're in control of our destiny. And, and yeah, I, I just felt like it was about him kind of putting a, a full stop on the game and saying, yeah, we kept, we got what we came for. Yeah. And where we are is top of the table uh, at Christmas. And, um, you know, it's a nice place to be. So let's take a little break here. We'll do a few quick questions uh, in part two, because we're keeping it a little bit shorter than normal because of uh, the day that's in it. Uh, we'll do those in part two right after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And of course, I mentioned Twitter there and completely forgot to put the uh, questions thing up on Twitter. So sorry to you guys. Uh, we'll get back on there, but um, there you go. Uh, let me go first here. And we had a few questions about Gabriel Martinelli, whose mm-hmm. who's current form is a bit of a talking point. Uh, Fabregasted says, lots of calls for Martinelli taking a rest. I don't necessarily disagree, but if Martinelli doesn't start in this game, then who does? And let me put in the caveat that Trossard cannot really run at defenses while uh, Elneny's hair says, Merry Christmas, gents. Merry Christmas. Uh, we know a year ago, Arsenal were in for Mudrick, likely to give competition to a player like Martinelli. Trossard does not hit the same. Do you think Martinelli's output has reprioritized a player of this ilk? Um, I, I'd be surprised if they can do it in January, a uh, wide player. I, I, I'm not as down on these Martinelli performances as everybody else. I, not everybody else, as some, let's mm. put it like that. I thought in the first half, I thought he was brilliant. Like, I thought the way he carried the ball was so dynamic and, you know, such an outlet for us. Um, and we don't have another player in the squad, I think, who can do that as well as him. I really don't. It's sort of to, to come to, you know, the first question of who else plays. Maybe he should have scored that chance. Um, and I think in the second half, there were a couple of moments where he was on his heels in the box and it might have been fatigue. It might just be, you know, he's in one of those sort of periods where he's n- almost not expecting the ball to come to him. Mm. Um, but I still think he's doing some really terrific work. But maybe I'm missing something. What do you think? I'm more aligned with you than those who are being quite critical of Martinelli at the moment. Like, I don't think he had his best game, but I, I, I think he was, he was exciting at the start of yesterday's game, and then he faded, and he didn't get any change out of Kanate, who we talked about playing very well. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the variation is something you could say. You know, if 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 you're trying to dribble past Kanate and you're finding that hard going, well, maybe look for more combination play. Um, Are you surprised at all that we don't, as we used to a little bit in the past, switch our wingers from time to time? Just put Sack yeah. over on the left for five minutes, put Martinelli on the right for five minutes, 
and just see if we can give the defenders a little something different to think about. Or is yeah. is, is this the the structure so rigid nowadays that that that's um, that's just not what we're going to do? I don't know if it's about it being rigid, but I think those sort of relationships, you know, let's say Zinchenko, Havertz, Martinelli, or uh, more successfully, probably White, uh, Odegaard, Saka, so integral to to mm. how we attack that maybe there's a, a wariness to disrupt that. But yeah, I don't see a harm in them swapping time to time. Um, yeah, I, I just, I guess at the risk of repeating myself, I just feel like his final execution isn't quite there. And I think it is almost that it's it's not automatic for him mm. right now. There is just that moment's hesitation or forethought. You know, Theo Walcott was in the studio watching the game and I felt like he was often like that as a player. Kind of the more... He's, the more he seemed to think about it, the less well it seemed to go, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and and to be fair, I think that's true of a lot of attackers. I think when you're playing on instinct, you're often at your best. And I think it gets harder and harder to do that when you're not scoring goals. Um, I mean, how long? Yeah. Martinelli, I mean, he scored against Luton on the 5th of December. Yeah. So it's only three games without a goal. But I know over the course of the season, his output hasn't been quite what it was my bet is that he'll he'll just go on a streak in the second half of the season then again you know i i would be open to having another option out there it just doesn't feel like Mikel arteta believes he has that in the squad like trossard could start um reese nelson could start but doesn't start so i don't know that the player is there in the squad um because you know, I do think there are significant differences in, in terms of playing style between Martinelli and Trossard. Uh, totally as effective agree. As Trossard I, I still has think been. we need that player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Uh, it's just whether or not it's doable in January. Um, and in this January in particular, you know, I'm, I'm less sure of that. Mm. But I would welcome it. It'd be right up my list in terms of priorities. Because mm-hmm. I just think, touch wood, you know, if we were to lose Saka or Martinelli for even a few weeks, we'd really struggle, I think, to replace what they offer. Um, Yeah. Trossard is not the same player. No. And, uh, you know, Jesus is not the same player. I think he's probably the closest, but then, you know, forward. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, there will be people arguing that if you buy the centre forward that everyone wants, or a lot of people would like, then you can use Jesus in those wide positions to sort of offset some of the, the... the style slash quality gaps that might exist with some of the choices we have at this moment in time. Yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. Can I ask you a uh, question? Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to find it first. That's the problem. Do you want me uh, to do some bum, 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 Yeah, can you do bum, bum, a Christmas bum, bum, bum? Bum, 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 bum. A pure bum. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Oh, yes, it's Boston folks say Saka. And they said, I've seen some comments about about how Havertz had an excellent game. I kept thinking he was slowing the game down with his backwards and sideways passes. Do you think this was intentional and instructed? Is this about control instead of dominance at a difficult venue? And I asked that partly because, you know, does that affect Gabriel Martinelli as well? Hmm, good question. 
I thought he was okay yesterday, Havertz. I didn't think he did anything particularly badly. Didn't think he did anything particularly well. Um, I think he's, you know, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, he's really beginning to find his feet within the team. That question of the relationships, you know, in in that area of the pitch between himself, Martinelli, like are Martinelli's struggles down to anything Kai Havertz is or isn't doing? I don't know. Don't know about that. I think it could be having an impact. I mean, certainly that is something I have noticed about Havertz, who I think is in good form and I thought was good again yesterday. But I don't think forward passing is his greatest strength. To me, he often looks like a hold-up player. You know, so he, he, he receives the ball very well and he likes to kind of lay it off um, a lot of like sideways layoffs or knocking it back into the midfield. But I'm not sure personally that he's a brilliant kind of turn and play a through ball player. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, what was, yeah, I mean, maybe that was something Shaka was more capable of with his ability on the ball, but I'd love, I'd need to go back and yeah. maybe look at how often Martinelli was released by, uh, Granit Xhaka last Granit Xhaka, season. yeah. I mean, I remember Xhaka doing it for Tierney a lot when Tierney played on that overlap. Xhaka mm. would play that kind of side-footed curled ball into the channel. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know the numbers as regards, uh, you know, Martinelli. But that could be having an impact. I mean, obviously, we come back to Zinchenko there. That's kind of the reason Zinchenko is in the team because he is that sort of player mm. and he comes into the midfield and is more than capable of playing those passes. Um, and that kind of frees Havertz up to do all his Havertz stuff. But our, our left side and our right side are different in how they operate. Um, and it's evolving as well. I thought yesterday, you know, it was really clear to me that Martin Odegaard was playing much deeper um, and Havertz playing higher at times. Um, he was basically an out ball for, for long balls as well, though. Like we yeah. were pumping the ball towards him and he was, you know, he won a few headers and, you know, he was going up for those those high ball challenges. Sure. So I think his position shifts around a little bit. Maybe He's a more bit of more... like, a, you know, how they say about strikers, like uh, oh, he's a nine and a half. Um, you know, he's somewhere between a nine, nine and a 10. I'd say Havertz is like an 8.75. You know, <laughs> he's Maybe a number so. eight and he's nearly a number nine. So we'll go, we'll go 8.75. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but I guess as well, the relationships on that side, while they are growing, you know, we're halfway through the season now, they're not the same as the white Odegaard's Saka triangle. No. To be fair, I don't think the main worry with Martinelli is that he's not getting in positions. I think people exactly have, yeah. have more concerns over his execution. Yeah, it's the decision making or the final pass or or the shot, you know, because over the last few games he has got into good positions. He has received the ball in the areas that you want him to receive the ball in. It's what he's done with the ball. Yeah. And I think that's quite distinct from from Kai Havertz. Um Tola says, Goodly Christmas Eve, gentlemen. William Saliba, I'm struggling to think of what is actually stopping me from labeling him the best centre back in the world. Is anything stopping you? I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> I think I, I think, think they all they do might know have now. noticed. I think they might have noticed. Yeah. I mean he's a very complete player at this point. 
and he's still only 22, I think. Um, you know, everyone in France who you spoke to about William, who, who worked with him from when he was a kid, they always said, if he has a weakness, it's in the air. You know, that was what everybody said. That's where he'll need to improve in England. I think he's really done that. Yeah, I think yeah. even in, in the time he's been with Arsenal, I think he's got better in that department. So it's hard to find fault, to be honest. Um, is Tony, he the best in the world? It's only just about consistency, isn't it? Van Dijk has been doing it, uh, you know, the top level for a, a team that's won the Champions League and won the Premier League and challenged for the big honours. He's, he's done it for, you know, however many seasons it is, five or six seasons. And I think yeah. that is the real difference. It's, it's, um, and he's it's won how, things. how consistently, yeah. How consistently can you produce that kind of form? I just think in terms of talent, in terms of, you know, his presence, his ability on the ball, his reading of the game, his pace, his strength. I mean, it's just an unbelievable package and we are absolutely, blessed to have him because I think if he can find that consistency then we're looking at you know one of the best centre halves in in Arsenal's history and when you consider some of the names that have played there for this football club you know I'm not I'm not exaggerating here when I say that so that'll tell you what I I think about his his talent um but, you know, careers aren't judged on where you are at 22. It's, you know, there's a lot more to come, I think, and, and we just have to see that. But I just think every ingredient that you want in a modern centre-back is there, every single one. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do think that – I don't intend this as a kind of <clears throat> word of warning particularly, but I do think that there have been very good defenders – maybe not quite as good as Saliba, at 22 um, at our club and elsewhere, whose careers have have not panned out as anticipated. You know, I think, I think he's good enough to kind of sustain it, but I think sustaining it is important, really, in how you'll be assessed and how you'll be judged. I think that in that position, you're quite vulnerable to a few mistakes starting to kind of illustrate weakness in your game. And, and it can turn quite quickly as a centre-back, particularly as a young centre-back. Now, there's been no sign of that from him. And I fully believe that he's good enough that that won't happen. But I think to to do what Tony Adams did, to do what Rio Ferdinand did, to be a guy who plays at effectively the highest level from when you're 17 until you're mm. in your mid-30s, it's no mean feat. And I believe he's capable of it, but I don't think it's uh, with any player a guarantee. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, he looks about as close to that <laughs> in terms of a guarantee as you could find. I mean, yeah. he's just been absolutely sensational. Um, it kind of feels like we have to, we'll probably have to start talking to him about a new contract at the end of the season, you know? Like, I, I do think he's almost in that space where. It, you know, he just has to be protected at all costs. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's not worry about that yet. He only signed. Sure, sure, contract. sure. The Saudis are coming for Gabriel, <laughs> and Real Madrid are coming for Saliba. Um, no, hopefully not. Let's have. Well, yeah, we ha had a Martinelli question. We did that Havertz question. I thought this was interesting. This is from Greg Justham. 
uh, or Greg Justin, I'm not sure. Uh, and Greg says, how disappointing is it to pay what we pay for have to have Neville and Carragher as the supposedly neutral commentators? It really sours the experience. Greg Just Ham, the man who forgot the turkey for Christmas. Yes. Um, how, yeah, do you have a point of view on that? I think the whole thing has changed. Punditry has changed and developed over the the last number of years where the co-commentator was expected to be relatively neutral slash objective, right? But Carraher and Neville, um, you know, Roy Keane, Ian Wright, you know, all of these guys wear their club colours on their chest. And not just when they talk about their their the team they support or played for, you know. I think that's prevalent now. I think it's all the way through. So, like, did it really sour things for... I mean, beyond having to listen to Gary Neville, which sours pretty much anything at any time, you know, I, I've sort of got used to it. I don't think Carragher was wildly pro-Liverpool or anything last night. I could be wrong, but he didn't say anything that made me go, oh, that's that's bullshit, or he's seeing things solely through the prism of of Liverpool. But mm. I think the, the whole thing has changed, hasn't it? That, you know, these pundits and co-commentators are now ex-Man United player Gary Neville, uh, ex-Liverpool player Jamie Carragher, whereas previously it wasn't like former Wolves player Andy Gray or former Liverpool player Jim Beglin, whatever it might be. You know, they were distinct from the clubs that they played for. And this is just the media landscape that we exist in now. And I, I wonder in part if it is because of because of the rise of, of the rise. It sounds like some kind of marching army, but you, you know the the development of of fan media, like Arsblog, like all the channels that exist for the other clubs, where you know we're partisan, we're biased, we're Arsenal fans. People expect that from us, and the prevalence of that kind of content has allowed this slight shift when it comes to um, in inverted commas mainstream media, if, the, if you want to call it that. Yeah, it definitely has changed. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you mentioned that group of pundits and, and all the big clubs really uh, are represented by the major pundits. Um, I, I wonder what it must be like as, I don't know, you know, a Crystal Palace fan or, you know, a, sure. a Forest fan to have these very partisan commentators and there isn't one from your team. At least we've got Ian Wright out in the world. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. It, it does strike me that... Um, I might be wrong about this, but I feel like Ian Wright somehow has managed to navigate being very clearly an Arsenal fan, but also being quite popular among fans of other clubs. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't... It's, I mean, it's probably just down to his remarkable charisma and likability, but he seems to have achieved that in a way that Carragher and Neville haven't quite. Can't. Uh, <laughs> Sure, that's one way of putting it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, does it sour my enjoyment of the game? Not really. Not really. I mean, unfortunately, Sky have the majority of the rights and mm. there's not, you know, there's Alan Smith on Sky and Micah Richards who, whether he talks about it publicly or not, is a big Arsenal fan. Daniel Sturridge, 
is a, a gooner as well, I believe. So we got a bit of representation, but you know, Carragher and Neville is very Liverpool United. Yeah, and we say that after starting this podcast talking about Sky and what they did and how they presented the narrative of the game. But yeah. uh, I think that's a slightly uh, separate question. Look, let's do a few quick ones just okay. to finish off. Um, where was this one that I liked? Uh, from Dodderside AFC. Goodly morning. Which villain in a Christmas movie would you cast Jurgen Klopp as? I'm going to say one of the two thieves in Home Alone. He looked furious <laughs> at times. He definitely has the range. Yeah, that's true. F- funny enough, when you asked the question, yeah, I was thinking maybe Marv in Home Alone. Um, well, what about the- what about this one? This is Hans Gruber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. That would be good. He's got he's got a uh, a different laugh, Klopp, but I'm sure he could do the ho ho ho. Yeah, I'm sure he could. <laughs> um, I actually saw that film about a week ago for the first time. Die Hard. Yeah, for the first I, time. For the first time, I'd wow. never seen it, and it came on. It was Christmas, and I thought, all right. Let's watch Die Hard. That's, I'm going to watch Die Hard 2 soon. That, you know. That's mad, because I've heard you on the podcast with yeah. your uh, with, with Brett Goldstein, your movie pal. And I know about films. I know you know films. all, yeah, was this because I was listening going, God, he remembers so much about all these films. I don't yeah, know how don't, much well, pre, uh, pre-podcast like research you, you do with, with some of the answers, but yeah. that's mad to me. Die Hard, I know, uh, right? Did you it's like it? It's quite an old film. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Loved it. It's good fun. Yeah. Like I say, I'm looking forward to Die Hard 2. And um, Die Hard 3 and Die Hard 4. I think there's a Die Hard 4. Die Harder? Something like that. Mm, die there's probably harder. a lot of Die Hards. So, yeah, what a treat for me to be able to work my way through them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's hard to beat, actually, as a suggestion. Yes, I think so. Um, Callum on the Discord says, uh, goodly-ish morning both. Firstly, just want yeah. to say happy first Christmas to Rocky. There you go. Thank you very Christmas. much. I'll pass that on. He says, uh, he won't have a clue what you're saying. No. No, but that's fine. Uh, he says, my question is this, is Bailey's a delightful festive drink or is it disgusting alcoholic milk shite? Happy holidays, XX. I think you're going to say it's disgusting milk shite. Yes. And I'm going to say it's delicious. Okay. Okay. It is delicious, Andrew. But this is what makes this podcast work so well. We disagree all the time and people love the confrontation. Uh, It's Irish, isn't it? I think so. Bailey's Irish cream, yes, in the name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should love it. You should love all Irish things. That's how this works. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't ever have it. Like, I don't drink it. I don't have it in the house. But if someone offers me some over the festive period while I'm watching Die Hard 2. Or just a I'll, random person coming up in the street. You want some Baileys? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. it. Yeah, a little tumbler of Baileys. Why not? <laughs> uh, not for me, though. I, I think of uh, better drinks. Um Last one, Dan Go Lab on. zero 01. Seeing as it's Christmas, goodly festive morning. You get to deliver an Arsenal player of the past to Arteta for the rest of this season as his present under the tree. Who are you choosing? And let's make it a little more interesting by uh, eliminating any invincible from this. Ooh, that is good. Because honestly, like every time someone asks this question, the, the obvious answer is Thierry Henry. Yeah, I, I just don't <laughs> think there is another answer. I know Vieira is brilliant, but Thierry Henry is a complete match winner I had this thought during the game where Salah scored that goal and I was like wow that is a great goal even if I was a bit annoyed at the defending 
and you know he like Henri is a guy, and I think Alexander Arnold is almost in this category where it's like they can just win a game on their own. You know, Liverpool can be bad mm. and they can do something insane. And as brilliant as some of our players are, I don't think any are quite at that Salah level, you know, but I don't think many people, I think it's like there's probably half a dozen players in the world who can do that. Um, and Thierry Henry was one of those where he could just win it on his own. Yeah. So if we can't have him, um, I know who I'm picking. I know who I'm picking as well. Go on then. I'm going to have Alexis Sanchez. Ooh. Do you want me to explain? Sure. Why not? He can do three jobs in the team, in my opinion. He can play Martinelli's position. He can play Saka's position. He can play through the middle. He fits the style. He can press. He's really dynamic. Um, but he does have incredible individual quality as well. Uh, and I just think, wow, I just think what an option yeah. to have a player like that sure in would. the mix, you know. Uh, he's sort of verging on that Salah thing of being close, able to win he? a... Yeah to win a game or produce a moment that can win you a game. I mean, he had a se- he certainly had at least one season at Arsenal mm. where he was at that level for sure. The very best Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, we get to pick which version of of okay. a player. I mean, so which version of Philippe Senderos are you going for? Andrew? Well, look, considering our problems at left back, uh, Armand Traore is the obvious uh, picker. No, I am picking Santi Cazorla for the left eight. Think about I that. Like it. Think about that. Marcelli have a field day. Everyone would. No one would get the ball off him and he'd be able to, you know, make passes with his left foot, his right foot. And well, he can a, play again in a number of positions, you know. He could also play in one of the more attacking roles. Mm-hmm. And he's just a brilliant footballer. Yeah, he is. It would be... But the thing is, yeah, I mean, listen, as fun as that is to dream about, and my God, it is fun to dream about, if we could have Alexis and Santi back in the team, uh, then frankly, I think we would walk the league. Um, <laughs> but it's the job of uh, Edu and his his little gang of nerds. Yeah, sort it out, Edu. To yeah. go and find the next one. Sort you know, it do out. Do the thing on Championship Manager where you go like <laughs> find similar players, right? That's what we sure. need to do. There you go. Didn't that work really well for us when we used Sven Mislintat's uh, prior yeah. uh, proprietary software to find a similar player to N'Golo Kante and it came up with Lucas Torreira. So yeah, that all went fine. Yeah, it was perfect. And then we played him number 10. It was fine. <laughs> uh, I don't know what he's up to these days, Lucas Torreira. Isn't he? I think he's working as an elf in a grotto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he is still playing for Galatasaray, but yeah, I, I like Yeah, I mean, it's good to have something on the side as well. True, it's true, a great. true. Little side hustle. Break. You know, that's what all the uh, tech bros do. They get their side hustles on. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, I think we should leave it there uh, and and let people go about their Christmas Eves. And um, I'd like to wish you and all your family a very Merry Christmas, James. 
And I will return that to you, good sir. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, to you guys here who've been with us throughout the year, uh, whatever you're doing at this time of the year, whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, uh, have a great one. Uh, Look after each other. Be kind. Remember as well, there are a lot of people out there who aren't as lucky as uh, we all are to be able to enjoy uh, what the world can give us. Um, So maybe if you have the the means or the ability to do something to try and help somebody uh, during this Christmas period, we could do that uh, as well. So... So we will Reach talk out to, you. to a Spurs fan. He's <laughs> 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 completely undermined my sincerity, you know. But that's no, I know. Sorry, that's that's, that's okay. my that's my personality ruining things. That's again. it. Speaking about ruining things, uh, we are going to leave you with a musical number um, put together by James, and maybe Santa Claus will come to town and bring us something we want this Christmas. For now, folks, uh, as ever, sending you all peace and love and happiness at this time of the year. Thanks for being with us, and we will catch you on the next one. Lots of love, everyone. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. But just someone like that who's like got a real proven track record, Premier League level, who you know mm-hmm. can win you, a, win you a game. We need... Uh, Santa Claus to bring us Pedro Nero in January. Is that what she said? <laughs> Tommy Asu is out, but he's done his thought. Timber season's in doubt, but don't panic, his why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a Checking the price, he's gonna buy back up for Declan Rice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's done all the bookkeeping, he's counted all the cash. He's gonna bend FFP rules So we can have a January splash Gonna bend the rules for a January splash Tommy Asu is our party's done his thigh Timber season's in doubt but don't panic is why Santa Claus is coming to town Santa Claus is coming to town Santa Claus is coming to Oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. And remember, any investment will be in the form of a loan. <laughs>